0: Well, good morning. Good morning and welcome to Grace Bible Church. I pray your week has been a blessing. You know, if we're telling it like it is, we know that our lives are a mix of triumph and grace along with difficulty and grief. Truly, we live the Christian life in expectation. We can expect in this world, in this fallen world, we can expect trials and even, even suffering. We don't have to look very far to see difficulties and problems. We experience suffering personally, and we experience it, and sometimes even worse, when we experience it or witness it in the people around us, especially those whom we are closest to. Truly, suffering is common to man. No one will live in this fallen world without experiencing suffering and pain. Some experience incredible amounts of suffering and pain. Even our Lord suffered in this fallen world perfect humanity who suffered the bible tells us that he experienced everything that we experience yet he suffered to an infinitely greater degree now isaiah 53 verse 3 says he was despised and forsaken of men in a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and like one from whom men hide their face he was despised and we did not esteem him He even experienced temptation to a level that we can never understand or never, ever know. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things like we are, yet without sin. Then he goes on to say, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and grace to help in the time of need. We can never fathom the pain that He experienced on the cross. Yet He never had one sinful attitude. He never once had had a self-centered thought of escape. The writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before Him. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross despising the shame. And now he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now you might ask yourself, what was the joy that allowed him to endure the excruciating pain of the Father's wrath? Well, I would argue that it was the reality of the coming consummation of all things. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul gives us, gives us insight into this incredible mystery which is becoming, is becoming a reality for us, for his people. He says, by the riches of his grace, which he caused to abound to us in all wisdom and insight, he is making known to us the mystery of his will. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth in him. It was this incredible knowledge of all things in Christ, this incredible knowledge that all things would be summed up in him. It was with this incredible knowledge that he looked to as he suffered he endured suffering beyond our comprehension. We can't fathom the pain that he endured as the father poured out his wrath on the sins of the world laid upon his son. Earlier, I said that we lived the Christian life in expectation. I said, "We expect pain and suffering. We can expect persecution. Some Christians have endured pain and suffering that would boggle our mind. So the question is, how do they suffer well? How do they suffer well? Here's an even greater question. How well do you, do you handle suffering? Whether it's sickness or death or financial problems or your children or even persecution. How well do you handle those? And how do you handle those? Well, we're returning to our study in Matthew, we've called the King and His Glory. Today we're finishing up our study in the Beatitudes on the Sermon on the Mount. These are, this is Jesus' Jesus's introduction to His Sermon on the Mount, and it, we are at the culmination of them. As you may know, we have studied the Beatitudes, if you've been here, as a series of steps. Now, there are many step programs which promise blessing and happiness, but I would argue that this is the only one, that actually delivers on its promise in this life and in life eternal. Now, last week we studied what we called Step Eight, and as you may recall, I combined Step Eight, Steps Eight and Nine. I had those you know, separated out, but I combined them, and so we could call these Step A, Eight A, and Eight B, brethren. These steps, these two steps, Eight A and Eight B together, are the ultimate result of your new life in Christ. In reality. These two steps are the crowning proof of the previous seven or the outcome of the previous seven. So, as we've said in his introduction to his Sermon on the Mount, King Jesus reveals these steps to your purpose and ultimate blessing in this life and beyond. We've made it to step 8 and 8A, patiently endure persecution, slander, and liable even for the right for righteousness sake. Now today we're going to continue to study what I would call the most difficult truth in the Christian life. God's people will suffer sometimes greatly for the sake of righteousness. Along the way we will continue to answer these difficult questions. What is God's purpose for the Christian suffering? How do I know that I'm suffering for the sake of righteousness? Do I need to seek out suffering and persecution since God blesses it? And why does God allow Christians to be persecuted from within the church even? We will also ask you how, you, how do you handle these trials that come your way? And how would you do if real persecution were to start in this country, around us even now? And are you ready for that to happen? So let me pray and then we'll start. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. I do pray that we would, as we consider this difficult subject, this difficult truth, that we will suffer for your sake, even great suffering. May we trust in you, and may we continue to be faithful to walk in righteousness, and may we understand this truth so that when suffering comes our way, we can handle it in a godly way. In Christ's name, amen. I'm just going to read Matthew 5:10 through 12, which is our specific verses this morning. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, over the past few years, men have held up Marcus Aurelius as a model for Stoicism. As such, he has been celebrated as an example of virtue and a well, of a well-lived life of flourishing. Supposedly, he valued courage and temperance and living in accordance with nature, but history tells us that Christians should not look to this man for their practice of virtue. John Fox, in his Fox's book, Book of Martyrs, tells us that he was sharp and fierce toward Christians. Under his leadership, called the, 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 the fourth persecution of, of Christians began. Modern historians disagree, yet Fox, John Fox, attributes great persecution of, a Christ, of Christians to Marcus Aurelius. According to Fox, the cruelties used in this persecution were such that many of the spectators shuddered with horror at the sight and were astonished at the intrepidity of the sufferers. Some of the martyrs were obliged to pass. With their already wounded feet over thorns, nails, sharp shells, etc., upon their points, others were scourged until their sinews and veins lay bare. And after suffering the most excruciating tortures that could be devised, they were destroyed by the most terrible deaths. That's according to John Fox. Fox gave several examples of martyrdom during this period of Marcus Aurelius. He spoke of Germanicus, a young man, but a true Christian, being delivered to the wild beast on account of his faith, behaved with such astonishing courage that several pagans became converts to a faith which inspired such fortitude polycarp we heard about him last week collected polycarp's friends collected his bones and as much of his remains as possible and caused them to be decently interred that's after his after his death after his martyrdom denarius the eldest was scourged and pressed to death with weights felix and philip the the two had their brains dashed out with club clubs savannas the fourth the IV was, uh, was murdered by being thrown from a precipice. And three, his three younger sons, Alexander, uh, Vitalis, and, and Marshall, were beheaded. The mother was beheaded with the same sword as the latter three. Here's the question. Why did these saints endure this persecution? Well, Jesus gave us the answer in the Beatitudes. They suffered for the sake of Righteousness. They suffered because of God's righteousness. They suffered because, in the words of Ian Murray, the word of God never yet prospered in the world without opposition. No truer words have been spoken. And that is the difficult truth of this text today. Now, as I've said earlier, we find ourselves at the culmination of Jesus' introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. At this point, at this point I, I won't give a full review. I've been doing more of a full review of each of the Beatitudes. I only, only want to remind you of the first four steps. The first four steps dealt principally with your hearts. Taking these steps are what make us true Christ followers and lead us to true blessing from God. These steps change everything about you. As you take them, you will begin you, you begin to truly believe in the promises of God, and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. The Apostle Paul says you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You also become a new creation in Christ with all new, all new affections. That's what Paul says in Second Corinthians five seventeen: that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And as such, as such you need to take, or you must take, if you will, the the first four steps before taking step five and beyond. You must become a Christian before you can act like a Christian. That's the point. Then there's steps five through seven. Now, I would argue that steps five through seven are the direct result of becoming a new creation in Christ. You begin to live in a whole new way. You begin to walk according to the righteousness of our Lord Jesus. You hunger and you thirst for righteousness. That's uh, Matthew 5, 6. You become truly merciful, even to those who show no mercy to you. That's Matthew 5, 7. You become a a whole man. You become a whole man without spot or wrinkle. You become pure in heart. That's Matthew 5, 8. And in Matthew 5, 9, you become a peacemaker. You become one who proclaims God's peace to those who are at war with Him. That's Matthew 5, 9. And because of all these things, You are truly different than the world. You are a Christian, and you you look different. Your values are different. Your values are different from the world's values. You begin to stand against all that the world holds dear. It's the new you, if you will. You don't set out to become hated by the world. You don't don't try to become hated by the world. And and truly, some of us do all we can to avoid being hated. We struggle with it. But ultimately, if we walk according to the righteousness of God, we can't avoid it. The world will hate us. That was one of Jesus' last promises to his disciples in John 15. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. That's a promise. That's a promise. You don't have to do anything other than to obey the Lord and walk according to His righteousness. And they truly will hate you because Jesus has chosen you. That's the point. That's enough. If you are a faithful follower of Christ, their hate for you cannot be avoided. But our our Lord promised it would happen. He also promised that we would be blessed if we patiently endure for the sake of righteousness. This brings us to these last two steps. These last two steps in the Beatitudes. That we need to patiently endure persecution, slander, and yes, even libel, for for righteousness' sake. Look back at your text in Matthew 5.10. We started looking at this verse last week. It says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Now, you may recall that righteousness is the central theme of the Beatitudes. As such, with the first steps, we fully recognize that we are not righteous. We become poor in spirit. We become poor in spirit. We, we mourn over our sin. We become lowly, and we begin to hunger and, and thirst for righteousness. We, we, we come to realize, we come to fully recognize that we are not righteous. We come to sense our need for the perfect righteousness of God to be right with Him. When we come to that realization, God saves us by His grace, and He he imputes to us the very righteousness of Christ. Now, after we're made these new creations in Him, in Christ, He imputes to us His righteousness, and we begin to live according to that new reality. We begin to exhibit the character of of Jesus our Lord. We begin to uh, reflect his beauty, albeit imperfectly. As we begin to live in that way, as we, we begin to reflect the beauty of our Lord, the world begins to hate us just like they hated him. And they begin to lash out at us just like they lashed out at him. And considering that harsh reality, these last two or these last beatitudes have to do with the suffering for the sake of this righteousness. As Paul reminded Timothy, uh, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's a promise. And in Matthew 5.10, Jesus promises blessing for those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. In reality, this is the crowning paradox of the Beatitudes, which are full of 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 paradoxes. Here's the paradox. Living out the righteousness of Christ, reflecting His beauty, reflecting His glory, living in Him will cause our suffering. That's that's the, the paradox. As I said last week, the world hates Jesus because they do not understand deity and cannot abide with perfect humanity. They hate us as we grow to be more like Jesus in our attitudes and actions. And believe me, it's not an easy road to travel. So the question is, what is persecution? Well, let me give you, the defini- let me give you a definition of it. As we consider these verses, I, I think it might be helpful for us to give, give the, define persecution and then give some examples of it. So the word translated persecution has the general idea of chasing someone harassing them or pursuing them or driving them out or away the word came to have constant connotations of bodily harm harassment abuses and and unjust treatment in the life of the christian it speaks terrible things it speaks of the terrible things that can happen as a result of walking according to righteousness according to to our lord Those who walk in righteousness will face these trials, will face this persecution. In addition, there's this inherent promise, because of the blessing, there's this inherent promise that they will be given the strength to endure through this suffering. In other words... The true believer who exhibits the qualities described in the first seven beatitudes, or the first seven blessings, or the first seven steps as we call them, will be given the inner strength to run the race enduring to the end. Not only that, but they will have the courage to live for Jesus no matter their circumstances. For those who have been made new in Christ, what we have to recognize is that falling away is an unthinkable prospect. You've heard it said, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, right? Well, I'm here to tell you that Christians who have been truly converted are the true definition of what it means to be tough. And it's not because of them. It's because of what Christ has done in them. It's what Christ has made them to be. The genuine Christian says, I will take up my cross and follow Christ no matter the cost. I will do His work no matter the difficulty. I will proclaim His mighty name no matter the opposition. Let me say that again, because I think it's important. The genuine Christian says, I will take up my cross and follow Christ no matter the cost. I will do His work no matter the difficulty, and I will proclaim His mighty name no matter the opposition. Let me give you the nature of persecution the nature of persecution. The Greek word here, translated persecute, is a perfect passive participle. Don't get scared. I'm going to explain it. The passive gives it the idea of allowing persecution to happen to us. In other words, we are passive participants. The perfect tense gives us the idea of something that began sometime in the past and continues until the present. In this sense, the Christian can expect persecution to start when we begin to walk in righteousness. That's the expectation. We can ex- expect it to happen. And it's going to continue. I'm sorry to tell you that when you start walking in righteousness, it's going to start happening and it will continue until you go home to be with the Lord. Now, we need to recognize that it won't be continuous in the sense of always happening. We won't always be going under, undergoing persecution. There will be times of peace. But we have to understand that there will always be the continuous threat of persecution. Persecution, borrowing from Genesis chapter 3, persecution is always crouching at our door. Earlier this week, I was reading an article in The Atlantic by Russell Moore about the state of the evangelical church. Now, it wasn't really the article that interested me, although I was kind of interested. But what interested me the, mo- interested me the most was the comments. Yeah, the, do you guys do that too? Go straight to the comments? But like it or not, what we have to recognize is there is a growing sentiment that the church is a major problem in our culture. I don't know if you've noticed this, but there is a growing sentiment that we're the problem. Truly, what we have to recognize is the visible church, the church that we can see, is not doing well. And I'm talking about the visible church, not the true church. The the Catholics have their priests as as pedophile scandal, right? You've heard all about that. The liberal church is actively working to align with the culture. They're they're trying to to capitulate to everything the culture wants. They're trying to make themselves look like that. (coughs) Southern Baptists... Are struggling with their own controversies, right? I mean, they have the they have their controversies that are going on within the Southern Baptist Convention, and there's also, as we brought up in a, a few weeks ago, if you listen to Fresh Bread, or if you think I even brought it up in the pulpit, there's the, the accusation of Trumpism and and Christian nationalism. So, so, the church, the church has its problems, the visible church, but you can mark my words, beloved, the church, the true church, the true church, those who are in Christ. The true church of Jesus Christ will bear the brunt of the fallout from these things. The true church will be the ones that experience persecution from every side. I'm I'm convinced that when wide persecution comes to America, the main avenue for that persecution and suffering will come from within the visible church. That They're the ones that are going to, to, to give power to, if you will, the persecution of the true church. Let me give you some categories then of persecution. According to our passage, along with the example of Scripture, there are three general categories of persecution. There's, there's physical persecution, there's what we would call verbal insults, and then there's false accusations. Now, we see examples of these persecutions throughout Scripture. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus was, pronoun- was pronouncing woes upon various groups, including the Pharisees and the scholars of the law. And in the midst of the woes, he warned them. He said this in Luke eleven forty seven: 47, Woe to you, woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, but your fathers killed them. So you are witnesses and, appro- and approve the deeds of your fathers, because... It was they who killed them, and you build their tombs. For this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill, and some they will persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the house of God. Yes, I tell you, it will be charged against this generation. Now, Jesus said something uh, similar in, in Matthew 23, 32-37. He says, some of, you, some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. So as you can tell, persecution of God's people is nothing new, nor are the types of persecution. You see, there's no, there's no new playbook. So there's, let me give you the types of persecution. The first type of persecution is physical or bodily persecution. Obviously, these are things that affect the physical body. They, include, they can, can include things like deprivation, hunger, and thirst. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul uh, defended his apostleship to the church at Corinth. And in doing so, he described his incredible suffering and hardships for the sake of Christ, the church, and the gospel. He says, in, many, in starvation, well, let me go back to the I have been in labor and hardship and many sleepless nights, in starvation and thirst, often hungry and cold and, not, and without enough clothing. Take notice of these general types of, of physical suffering, including hunger and thirst. He was also deprived of proper clothing in cold weather. In 2 Corinthians 4.13, we get a brief glimpse of his last days in a dungeon. He asked Timothy for the cloak he left at Troas with Carpus. He was subjected to, to cold conditions and he, and he needed some protection. He was being persecuted physically. He was being deprived of, of, uh, of food and, and water, but he was also being subjected to cold. These persecutions can also include physical beatings and martyrdom. You may recall earlier, in, earlier, for earlier that Jesus was charged the that Jesus charged the Jewish leaders with the blood of Abel. In Luke 11, 51, he says, that he says from the blood of Abel to the blood of Ze- Zechariah. Well, Abel, Abel himself was killed by his brother Cain. Some believe, it doesn't specifically say this, that he killed him with a stone to the head. Ironically, that would be the reverse of the promise in Genesis three fifteen. You remember the promise? The seed of the serpent would, would be crushed, his head would be crushed by the, by the, by the seed of the woman. Well, in this case, the seed of the serpent landed that first crushing blow. Yet it was not a divisive blow, was it? I love the connection to righteousness here. The Apostle John says that, that Cain slew Abel because his deeds were evil, and his brother's works were what? Righteous. That's First John 3.12. According to 2 Chronicles 24, the other man Jesus mentioned, so he had Abel, but he also mentioned Zechariah. Zechariah was stoned to death in the court of the house of Yahweh. He was stoned to death at at the command of the king. They stoned him to death in in the courts. That's 2 Chronicles 24, 20, and 21. Zechariah again was killed on the account of righteousness. A few weeks ago, we considered Stephen's martyrdom in Acts chapter 7. As you may recall in in Acts 7.52, Stephen asked the Jewish leaders, which one of the prophets did did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one. Again, that connection to righteousness. Whose betrayers and murderers you have become. They responded in great anger to his charges. That's seven, Acts 7.54. When they heard this, they became, became furious in their hearts, and then they began gnashing their teeth at him. Ultimately, they stoned him to death by, while a man named Saul watched and gave hearty approval. Now, Stephen was calling out, Lord, receive my spirits. Again, they stoned Stephen because they were evil, and he was righteous. The Apostle Paul was stoned at Lystra. He was stoned at Lystra according to Acts 14, 19-20. They were stoning him and they were dragging him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. According to Acts 16, and 24, Paul was beaten with rods in Philippi. Again, they stoned Paul and they beat him because their works were evil and he was righteous. He was walking according to the righteousness of God. And we also have to recognize that physical persecution can also include subjection to imprisonment and other harsh, uh, harsh conditions. We've already seen these examples, of the, the examples of this in the life of the Apostle Paul. He was jailed several, on several different occasions, including the, the harsh imprisonment recorded in 2 Timothy. Listen to what amounts to his final words as he endured the chains of imprisonment. He says this, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. For I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. Paul knew that he was facing death. Facing death, he was facing this physical persecution. He was imprisoned for his faith because he was walking in righteousness. Now, you may recall in our study of John the Baptist. He was imprisoned before being beheaded at the hands of Herod the Tetrarch. Uh, Herod the Tetrarch had him put to death because, because John the Baptist was righteous and he was evil. His head was brought on a platter and given to, to, to Herodias' daughter. And it was brought to, to, uh, given to, to the mother. It's a brutal way to die. And thankfully here in our world, in our culture, most of us have avoided physical persecution. I don't think that many of us have been beaten for our faith. None of us that I know of, not many, are put in prison. We're not, we're not deprived of food and water, and generally our justice system protects us from false imprisonments. Currently, we're not under the threat of physical persecution, but physical per- pers- or actual persecution may also include verbal threats or verbal insults. Look at your text in Matthew 5.11. Blessed are you when people insult you, insult you and persecute you. Let's look at that insult. The Greek word translated insult literally means to cast in one's teeth. In this context, it has the idea of finding fault in a way that demeans others. It could mean reviling. It can mean to mock someone or, or to heap insults as a, as a way of shaming them. We can insult people by finding weaknesses or things that are apparently true about someone to insult them. People make fun of of those who maybe struggle with their weight or look distinct in some way or act differently than the crowd. These can be rather innocent like that. But many times they're evil insults intended to tear that person down. Specific to this context, what Jesus is talking about is serious insults insults to abuse or, or, or to mock viciously and they they mocked the lord jesus while he was suffering on the cross in mark 15 or mark 14 64 it says they all condemned him to be deserving of death and they began to spit on him and and to blindfold him and to beat him with their fists and to say to him prophesy and the others received him with slaps in the face but you see that they were verbally they were verbally abusing him in the, in the deadness of their trespasses and sins they were they were only able to see what they perceived as weakness and in response they mocked and they insulted him and they treated our lord the lord of glory with utter contempt they also mocked the the prophets and the messengers before him god sent his word to them by the hand of the messengers, but they would not receive them. And they continually, according to 2 2 Chronicles 36, 15, and 16, they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets. The Apostle Paul never misses an act to get in on. The Apostle Paul also was mocked on many occasions. In Acts chapter 17, the men of Athens sneered at him when he taught about the resurrection of the dead. And when he taught about it, they sneered at him. And, and, and some, said, some said, we'll hear you again concerning this. And, and, but, but others sneered and mocked him unmercilessly. Unmerceless, Even today, I go back to those comments that I was talking about earlier on social media. Even today, you will be mocked unmercilessly for preaching the truth in public places. You may even be mocked and insulted in the church for preaching the truth of God's Word. You will be accused of teaching false doctrine doctrine when you you preach the sovereignty of God. You will be accused of being backwards when we teach that God created the world in six days. You'll be accused of being legalistic when you teach the dangers of sin and and the need for pursuing sanctification. You'll be accused of being hateful when we teach the reality of God's judgment on sin for eternity. You see, as a faithful Christian, walking in righteousness, preaching the truth, you will endure verbal mockery at at some point. Whether it's from those inside the church or outside the church, you will endure verbal mockery. Your love for Christ and your faithfulness to Him may even cause those who you believe are friends, even those who are closest to you, to say things that cut and hurt deeply. I can't believe you. You, you. you don't believe that, really. You can't believe that. I mean, that's, that's hurtful. When you, tell, when you say that this certain sin is, is bad or wrong, and that you're going to be judged for it, that's so hurtful. Why can you, how can you say that? Even family can do that. You also need to understand that persecution may also include false accusations. Look back at your text in Matthew 5.11. It says, says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Whereas verbal insults has to do with abusive words that people say directly to you, uh, to your face, False accusations are, are generally spread behind your back with the intent to hurt you or, or hurt your ministry or hurt your family. In, in many cases, they, they may contain elements of truth to, be, to make them more believable. And, and once started, unfortunately, because we're sinful people, once started, they can spread like wildfire, even in the church. False accusations, false accusations can take two different forms, yet... These are very similar. One is slander. The first one's slander. Slander is really gossip without and out lies. According to uh, the dictionary, Merriam-Webster, it is the utterance of false charges or misrepresentations which defame and, and damage another's reputation. I would add the element of Intent. They intend to use these lies. They intend to twist the truth in a way to damage your reputation. This is hard to defend because it's behind your back. And it spreads so quickly that you can't do damage control because we don't even know it's happening many times. There are times you never even know what's been said to hurt you, yet people are treating you differently, right? You ever had that happen? In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter encourages his readers, and who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you suffer for the sake of righteousness, there's that righteousness thing again, by the way. If you suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. He's going back to what he was taught by the Lord even in the Sermon on the Mount. And he goes on, and do not fear their fear, and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ in your heart in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and fear. Having, then he says this in verse 16. This is 1 Peter three sixteen. Having a good conscience, so having a good conscience, having a clear conscience, right? So that in the thing which you are slandered, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. You know what he's saying? What he's saying is, that if I have a good conscience and I'm doing what is right, even when I'm slandered, I can have confidence, right? I, I, that, and it will put those who, who are slandering me to shame. Put simply, the, the answer to slander or any other type of persecution is to keep walking in righteousness. It is to keep doing good. It is to be ready to make a defense for the hope that is in you because as you suffer those difficulties, as you suffer those slanders, as you suffer that physical persecution, others are going to go, what makes him different? How can he, how can he do this? How can he walk in righteousness? How can he keep doing good? How does he have the hope in him? Look at what he's going through, right? Well, false accusations can only take may, not, may on, not only take the form of slander, they also take the form of libel, which libel is different in that it's stuff generally written about you. So slander seems to be more what is said about you, but libel seems to be more what is written about you. And, and this is especially prevalent today, is it not? In social, with social media, uh, it, you know, the, we, everybody has the opportunity to to, to be a part of social media to, to contribute, right? Therefore, it may be, this may be, the social media may be the most prevalent form of false accusation today. Anyone can start publishing lies about you with Facebook, or anyone can start a podcast and start spreading lies about you or your ministry. Over the past several years, we've seen the rise of these discernment ministries. These, these type of ministries generally pride themselves on quote unquote reporting the truth. They use the the internet and social media as a means to express their opinions. Unfortunately, there's no way to reverse the things that they say, even if they're proven wrong. I mean, they can go on and on about how bad you are, uh, how horrible your ministry is, and even when those things are proven wrong, it's all on record as they said it. It's kind of like the you know where the lawyer says something and he knows going to be there's going to be an objection, yet it's already said and the jury heard, hears it. I mean, it's out, right? It's, this is what's been said. You know, reputable, reputable men and women have been libeled by these discernment ministries for the sake uh, of their views on, on, on social media. You know, they get more clicks. You know, the more, the, more it's, uh, the more interesting that it is, the more clicks they get. In the age of, of the Internet and social media, when something juicy comes along, the draw is to get uh, is to get uh, the draw to get more clicks is too much for some, right? They want to, They want to make it as, as as shocking as they can, instead of actually reporting the truth. Beloved, you need to be. We need to be discerning as we review as we view these discernment ministries. Even even the ones you tend to agree with, right? I mean, there's 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 these discernment ministries. If you don't know about them, they're out there. And you can you can look at them, and there's some that you would probably agree with, but you need to be careful, right? Because the the this this idea is is that I can get more clicks, that I can have more popularity if I say something shocking. In our social media age, it's easy to spread lies, and it's easy to believe them. We need to remember the wisdom of Proverbs eight eighteen seventeen, right? Proverbs eighteen seventy says, "The first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him." Now, before we end, I want to answer a couple of questions that you may be that you may have. Then we're going to look at the last verse in this text. So, the quest, first question is, "Do I need to seek persecution?" It's, After all, the Lord says He will bless it. So, do I need to seek it? Well, refer back to uh, Matthew chapter five, verse eleven. Refer back to your text. It says. Blessed are those who have been persecuted. Now, we, we mentioned this Greek participle earlier, which is translated, uh, the Greek participle translated "persecute" is a perfect passive. We talked about uh, the, the effect of that. The, the passive gives an idea of, of um, allowing, the, the idea of allowing persecution to happen to us. In other words, we don't need to seek out persecution. We need to be willing, this is the point, this is what Jesus is saying, that we need to be willing to endure when persecution inevitably comes our way. We need to be willing to endure it. More than that, we need to see it as an indication of our salvation, as an indication that we are living according to true righteousness. When we live according to God's righteousness, we will endure persecution. That is a promise. Jesus promises it. Peter and Paul and the rest of the apostles affirm it. We can depend upon it. Having said that, you shouldn't seek it. You shouldn't seek it. I believe it's ungodly to seek it. And in the words of Martin Lloyd-Jones, we are not to do anything that calls for persecution, but by just being like Christ, persecution becomes inevitable. You can see the point? That's the point of the, the, the passive, of that perfect passive, is that now the perfect says it's going to start happening when we start walking in righteousness. It's going to say, it says it's going to continue to happen. The passive tells us that I don't have to do anything active to, to be persecuted. I don't have to seek it out. I shouldn't seek it then, but, what is the, but the next obvious question is, can I avoid it? Can I avoid persecution? Well, we can try to avoid it, But that may put us at enmity with God, right? probably will put us at enmity with God. Those who love the world cannot love God at the same time. James, I remind you, James says that friendship with the world is hostility toward God. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world sets himself as an enemy of God. You see, when we're tested by trial and persecution, it tests our faith in the Lord. It's at that point when we're being persecuted... When we're, whether it's physical or whether it's slander or whether it's libel or whatever it is, whatever form it takes, imprisonment, whatever it is, it is at that point that we're most tempted to be comp- or to compromise. See we cannot walk in righteousness and compromise the truth by compromising with the world. so you can't, you can't do the same you can't do the both at the same time you can't compromise with the world and walk in righteousness I'll say it simply you see the world is going to try to break you the world will tell you will try to get you to agree with worldly thinking oh you believe that this is wrong then you can't have this job you can't, you can't work here if you believe this they will say all that we need to do is relent on the truth right just compromise. That's all you need to do is compromise. Just walk, walk like the world. In the words of John MacArthur, he says, God does not want his gospel altered under the pretense of it being less demanding, less righteous, or less truthful than it is. He does not want witnesses who lead the unsaved into thinking that, that, the, that, the life, in, that life in Christ costs nothing. A synthetic gospel, a man-made seed, Produces no real fruit. End quote. So can we avoid persecution and walk in righteousness? Well, I think we can look back at the Old Testament saints and, and answer that question. But before we answer that specific question, look back at Matthew 5:12. Jesus said for us to rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. When we walk in in righteousness, we can expect persecution to come. But what we have to recognize is that is validation that we are being faithful and are walking in Christ. You see, we don't have to go step on the toe of the 800-pound gorilla. All we have to do is walk in righteousness, and that 800-pound gorilla is going to slap us. And we can rejoice, and we can be glad when that happens because we know that we're walking in righteousness because we didn't seek it out, but we know that we can't avoid it. We know that we're saved when persecution finds us. In the words of John Calvin, persecutions are, in a way, seals of adoption to the children of God. Just listen to what they did to the Old Testament saints. The writer of Hebrews, in 11, uh, Hebrews 11, 32-38, he says, For what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I recount Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, as well as David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith, listen to this, conquered kingdoms, performed righteousness, there's that word again, obtained promises, shut the the mouths of lions. Well, that was not good. Quenched the power of, of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong from weakness, made mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection and others were tortured not accepting their release so that they might be might obtain a better resurrection and others experienced mockings and floggings yes also chains and imprisonments we talked about all that right They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in desolate places and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. That was the Old Testament saints, beloved. It was the Old Testament saints. And it very well could be us. Let me end with a warning and an encouragement to the saints. First off, we may not seek it, but avoiding persecution is dangerous to your soul. Beloved, if we are ashamed of Christ, we can be assured that He will be ashamed of us. We may be popular with men when we line up with the world, when we say the same things that the world is saying, when we compromise on the truth, we may become popular. We may be even enriched by the world. You see, prosperity preachers, you know what they do? They tell men what they want to hear. They make a mockery of the truth. But let this warning from our Lord in Luke 6.26 sink in slowly. He says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For their fathers were doing the same things to the false prophets. You see, those who were truly prophets of God, uh, all the things that I described or that was in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, all those things happened to them. But guess what happened to the false prophets? Well, they were spoken well of. You can be assured, you can be assured that when The world speaks well of you. That when you are in lockstep with the world, our Lord is not pleased. Our Lord is not pleased. In the words of Thomas Akempis, It is preferable to have the whole world against thee than Jesus offended with thee. To be popular with the world means you've compromised on your faith or you don't have a true faith at all. He desires for you to walk in righteousness, speaking the truth of His Word. In the words of Spurgeon, if persecution should arise, you must be willing to part with all that you possess, with your liberty, with your life itself, for Christ, or you cannot be His disciple. End quote. Having said that, if you walk in obedience to the truth, your reward will be great. We also know that we will receive this reward from heaven, in heaven that is. Look at your text in Matthew 5.12. He says it simply, for your reward in heaven is great. It will exceed all that you can imagine. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Beloved, if you persevere under trial, even under great persecution, great difficulty, if if people slander you, if people libel you, it doesn't matter if they physically beat you, if they throw you in prison, it doesn't matter, uh, because you will receive, if you persecute, persevere, you will receive the unfading crown of glory which Jesus has promised to you because you love him. I love the simple words of Justin Martyr. You can kill us, but you can't hurt us. You can kill us, but you can't hurt us. I also love the words of the Apostle Paul. He says this in Ephesians 3:2021, 20, "Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or understand, according to the power that works within us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen." Earlier I asked. Are you going to be able to endure persecution? The only way you're going to be able to endure persecution, if it comes, when it comes, is to understand that God has power working within us and and that God can do far more abundantly beyond all that you can ask or understand and that if you live for Him, that your reward in heaven is great. It doesn't matter what they do here. The body they may kill. But God's word abideth still, right? I think that's how it goes. Let me end with this incredible, amazing exhortation from the writer of Hebrews. I'm just going to read it because it's good. It's scripture, right? It's good. Hebrews 12:1 through four. You can read along if you'd like. writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Remember all that I, wrote, I read in Hebrews 11? It's called the, the hall of faith. And at the end of it, he, he bunches it all together and he says this is how they, a lot of them, this is how they lived. That's the cloud of witnesses he's talking about. Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, laying aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's been victorious. Been victorious. What's He been victorious over? Hebrews 12.3. For consider Him. Consider Him. Fix your eyes on Him. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. When you're going through these difficulties, when it's so hard and you can't deal with it, consider Him who has endured such hostility by sinners against Himself. Said another way, endure persecution. You want to know how to endure persecution? You want to know how to endure Hostility? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Look to the cross. The writer of Hebrews says, consider him so that you will not grow weary and fainting in heart. You want to know how to endure when that college professor challenges you? When you have to write a paper that, you, uh, that they want you to write and you know you can't write it and you have to write the truth and you know it may affect you. When you stand before your boss and, and you know that that promotion that you have, to, you have to go against the truth in order to get it. Or even worse, as time goes on, when the world says you got got to do it, and you say no, but you're hurting. That's southern, right? Hurting. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on our Lord so that you will not grow weary. So that you will not become faint in hearts. He ends this way. Way well, doesn't end, but the next verse, I love it. <laughs> he says... You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood and striving against sin. Wow. Wow. No matter how hard it becomes, you'll never endure what our Lord did. Fix your eyes on Him. Trust in Him. Walk in righteousness. Don't compromise the truth. Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning. Praise You. What a difficult subject. We live in a world that hates You. We live in a world that hates Your Gospel. We live in a world that hates us because of You. That can't stand Your righteousness. Yet, the answer according to Your Word is to just fix our eyes upon You. Christ. may we do that may we trust in him as we endure great difficulty in this fallen world that so hates us Lord I pray that we wouldn't <laughs> just the idea of walking in righteousness means that we are merciful means that we are pure in heart means that we don't go out and find ways to antagonize the world. We don't have to go and, and seek out persecution. I'm not saying that, but we know the promise is that it will come. May we endure to the end by your power, which works mightily in us. In Christ's name, amen.